1: You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and together we try and bring you new and exciting guests, new topics, bring you the outdoors when you can't be in the outdoors. It's just that simple, guys, and uh, I am glad to be back on the airwaves. I think maybe this is only the second podcast we've dropped in 2021 thus far, but uh, we're getting back in the swing of things. We're getting our spring lineup ready, which I'm really excited about that. Um, We've got a, a lineup called lessons of the fall which i think is really going to be a fun one i told you guys in the last episode that we had one coming and what we're going to do is we're going to find people from previous episodes who have come on here who are known to kill big deer or just they were great guests and we're going to ask them simply having been established hunters what did you learn this past fall because everybody learns something every year it seems like and uh, i think those little tidbits will be uh, insightful but uh Before I get too far carried away, Chase, dude, what's good in your neck of the woods?
0: Oh, man. Well, I don't know that there's a whole lot good in my neck of the woods, but uh, (laughs) I've just been keeping busy. Uh, This is my last semester for schooling, so I got a heavy load this semester. So I'm going to be knocking that out, and uh, I'll officially be – graduated awaited from college finally. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be edumacated. I'll be I'll finally be edumacated, as they uh, say. So I'm trying right. to just get all that done. Uh, final semester, knock all that out. Um, I may not be as participative or whatever that word is. Uh, this <laughs> uh, for the next few months. Uh, I'm going to try my best. Uh, I may miss out on a few podcasts here and there, uh, just to try to get this done. But uh, after I get all that finished, I'll finally have <laughs> a bunch of extra free time uh, to be that's able right. to dedicate to the podcast and hopefully some videos and things like that uh, once that's all finished. And it sounds like I'm going to kind of have to be because you're going to have a new addition to the uh, Lee family about the time I'll be finishing. So it'll kind of work out perfect.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for you, man. I really am. You, you, you've been busting your butt with that school for a while now, and it's going to be good, you know selfishly the future of chasing tails and you and iris relationship and and we always talk about doing these hunts all of that gets you know incrementally easier once you're done so uh, the good news is from the sounds of it and it's all kind of fluid because that's how school is but it sounds like you and i are still gonna be able to do some turkey hunting this spring
0: yeah yeah we, we should be able to do some turkey hunting uh, i'll have a good majority of the classes done and be in a groove at that point <laughs> knowing what i right. to do and get done. So I'll be looking forward to that. it will be a good little break to get in the the turkey woods. So I'm going to take the time now. I haven't, I really haven't hunted much, probably the last month uh, at all. But one thing that I have gone out and done is I've been able to check some trail cameras that have been soaking for about three months. And I got a lot of good intel from those cameras. Uh, A lot of activity, there was a lot of activity in some areas where I didn't necessarily expect there to be activity, especially Mm -hmm. in the month of December. And it was some good mature bucks. And the funny part was, is one of these cameras was kind of on this water hole. It's kind of, it's kind of a mud hole. It's this little clay area, always holds water. And I keep a camera on it. And I'd actually forgotten that I had the camera on it and I ended up driving by it one day. I was like, Oh man, I need to check that camera. It's I hope it worked the whole time. It's like one, of, cause I've yeah. had so many issues with trail cameras this year. I figured it probably crapped out on me after day two or something of being there. And it's <laughs> just been sitting there for three months dead, but it, it was actually still fully functional working, uh, had tons of pictures and I was surprised to see it was just the amount of, uh, there was a couple of mature bucks and just decent bucks actually using that water hole and how the, the, there were does and stuff using as well. And then there were bucks coming in, checking does at the water hole. And, uh, it was just a good surprise to see that and to kind of be able to catalog, okay, when was all this activity like the best and to go back and maybe for next year go, okay, I need to kind of focus on this area uh, next year around that time. And I had actually, there was actually some bucks that I didn't even know were on the property uh, that were in there quite a bit during that time. And it kind of gave me some hope for next year because in some of the other areas, I mean, there was one other deer kind of on that property that I would consider a a mature buck. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, these bucks... I mean, no one's killed them that I know of if they make it through this year they'll they should all be like mature kind of target bucks for next year, so I was excited about that and so in one of the other ones there were there were a bunch of deer on the camera uh not really a lot of mature bucks though um it was right. a bunch of young pretty probably two and a half and under bucks uh that were on the camera in that area, so it'll be good to kind of go back and maybe. Set the camera up again in that area next year to see if the same deer are coming through uh, as they were and just kind of go with that progression. There's one other camera that I have to check uh, that's been soaking for the last two or three months as well. So I need to get out and check that one uh, to see because it's kind of in an area where it's a perfect funnel for the deer. And I checked it probably, mm, it's probably been maybe two months ago or something. And there are quite a few deer using it, just not as many as I would have thought. I would have thought it would have been a better spot, especially for uh, a couple of deer that I was targeting in certain areas. I would have figured they'd have been using that for sure. And that one of the deer was never on that camera. (laughs) And I was really surprised by that. So it made me rethink, okay, well, how is he actually accessing this area when I do catch him on camera? Right, but, So a lot of stuff to kind of go over and think about uh, in the off season, come up with plans for next year.
1: Dude, I swear, I I swear the most underappreciated thing are trail cameras by people. Like I understand you shouldn't ever like rely on them, but I killed a big deer this year because a bit. you know, a big deer. I mean, he's not poking out, but I killed a very, very good Florida deer, especially for public land because I had that, that, that Intel from last year, you know, it's not a, it's not the end all, but man, get yourself some cheap cameras. You know, those, I did a review on those Simmons. I'm going to do a year end follow-up. They're 22 bucks a pop. You can get free shipping on them. If you order five, they function great. Get them out there and let those cameras tell you what's going on in areas. Cause it, I think that is the most underappreciated tool still uh, by most people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I bought a bunch of Tascos this year. Mm I bought five of them, and I've been really surprised with all – now, the picture quality is not the best. I mean, there will be some times where it'll take a picture, especially if you got, like, it on a three-shot burst or something, where, like, the first picture looks good, but the next two, there's, like, a shade to it or something. Sure. Um, Nighttime pics are perfectly fine, uh, but some of the daytime stuff isn't the best. But for twenty five dollars, uh, all five of them have worked pretty much flawlessly the whole season. I haven't had an issue with any of them. Uh, they all, all were taking pictures. The battery life was surprisingly good on all of them as well. So, uh, oh yeah, I'm like, wow. I need to I need to buy some more of these. And like I said, just to put to soak. I yep. mean, even if you're not relying on those cameras as like your main cameras. They're yep. great for areas where you're like, okay, I'm not going to hunt this area this year, but I I want to get some intel. Like I said, it's almost like you kind of mentioned before. It's like you're in the woods basically uh, 24-7, 365, right. and if you're getting pictures and you find out, okay, this area is hot October 15th through the 23rd or something, you can go, okay, I'm going to catalog that and I'm going to make sure next year I I get in here during that time. And that's exactly what you did this year on your public land hunt in Florida. You're like, this area was on fire this
1: time. And you got in
0: there and sure enough, you had success. I mean, it, it, it is
1: a legitimate option that everyone needs to be exercising. If you're, if you're asking me for my opinion or, or not, if you're just listening to this, I, I genuinely, we broke it down in a previous episode. I think maybe it was with Byron Horton, maybe it was just you and I, but, you know that camera that you mentioned that i put out there that was i calculated that as as 3 plus years worth of of inventory basically it would take me 3 years to have gotten the daylight active only components of that and i got a bunch of nighttime photos a, a, as well you know in no scent you know introduced to the you know minimal scent introduced to that area i mean it's just it's a it's an amazing tool and i think honestly if uh you know as as my hunting budget grows because you know you you only (laughs) you you acquire a bunch of stuff to go places and then you start finding that you have money for tags and stuff i can see a legitimate um mix of your non-cellular cheap cameras being put in places that maybe you're curious about and you just want to see what comes by for a year and then your cellular cameras kind of bouncing around giving you your live intel it has been a remarkable marriage of the two and uh Man, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably going to run cameras almost year round. I'll probably pull them in like April, May, because the, you know, you're not, you're just inventorying a bunch of antlerless deer at that point. Um, and I'll probably put them back out about August, September, kind of like James Stovall outlined. But I mean, dude, I, my goal next year is to never during that period of, all, of you know, August to April, never not have those cameras in the woods.
0: Yeah. And your cameras, I mean, it's, and they're not just for deer. I mean, you can use them for turkeys. I know guys that utilize trail camera strategies just for turkeys, like put them in strut zones and areas where, okay, they think turkeys are going to be, and they use the cameras uh, to kind of tell them, okay, this is, these turkeys are moving through here at like 10 o'clock in the morning or something. That's right. And they find, okay, well, if I'm not getting one off the roost, then I know I need to come over to this area and set up and wait for the birds to get here type thing. So they can be utilized for more than just deer. You can use them for Turkey. And it's, I mean, if you can get five cameras for a hundred bucks, I mean, a cell cam is like the cheapest cell cam you can pretty much buy is a hundred dollars. So you just, instead of buying one other cell cam, buy five other cameras that are going to get you Intel for next season.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I I mean, I think it's instrumental. In fact, um, I kind of want to do a follow-up podcast on trail cameras and things that we learned using them, maybe some strategies because we, we kind of. You know, James Sobel gave, gave, gave us his opinion on those, and I feel like I've come up with a really uh, neat way of going about it. I think you have as well. Um, I, I'd like to do a follow-up on that because um, I, I just – it's funny, right? We're sitting here – I don't know. We have to be like 20 years since the advent of the trail camera or getting close to it, and here I am saying, use them more. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's it, – I really – I feel like it's an easy way one camera a year. You know, I don't care what your budget is. You can find money for one dollars Walmart Tasco, stick it in the woods, leave it there. Cause dude, my Simmons, I never change the batteries out of any of those Simmons. Yeah. I don't, I don't all year long. I, I would pull it and I would have, I would put it on a three round burst. Um, and I think I would get, I don't know about a month. I'd get a thousand to 600, you know, 800 to 1600 photos. 1400 photos somewhere in that range dude i would still walk up to them and bam 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 it would catch me walking up and you know they had been catching stuff all the way up until that point i they don't need up a bunch of batteries they don't need up a bunch of budget i think people would really benefit from that but let's you know maybe not harp on that much more um well actually you know what we should do maybe we should thank the people make this podcast possible i mean here we are 12 minutes into it. it's probably a good spot right
0: yeah, let's
1: do it. <laughs> so, uh, first and foremost, we need to, to address our Patreon members. Uh, I am I am pleased to say that, uh, as promised, we have picked the Q4 of 2020 Patreon giveaway. And uh, the winner of that is Chris Messari. I think I recall that I'm saying that name right. Uh, he won an Alps Outdoors backpack, two 20-inch Titan, stra- Titan straps, and two base layers, the 170 Ka- Kaibab from Screen. That's the merino wool. That is probably uh my go-to piece whenever it gets cool, just as a next to skin layer, but also uh you, you can throw it on top of their 150 uh, GSM uh wool and it's just a it's an awesome insulated layer. In fact that's the layer I took to Colorado this past year or two years ago. Good lord. And so uh Chris, thank you for everything that you do. Huge shout out to all of the the Patreon members who every month help help offset the cost of this podcast. You know the money goes Right back into the operating costs of the podcast. You know, I'm buying a new camera this off season. We had that, foo, you know, that <laughs> un- it incredibly unfortunate uh, camera issue in early December when I pulled the trigger. And literally, the moment I pulled the trigger, the camera corrupts the SD file. I mean, you can go to YouTube and and see right up to that point. But the point of saying that is, you guys are helping offset the cost of camera gear, podcast equipment, travel costs. Chase and I are going. Uh, probably the central Florida this year, Chase Osceola's, which is amazing. I drew a quota down there. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for everything that you do. And Chase, why don't you tell them about this upcoming giveaway?
0: Yeah, Q1 is going to be a great giveaway. where pretty much all of us are headed into turkey season. I think right now is kind of where people, at least a lot of people are making that transition where deer season's over thinking about, okay, what's next? And it's turkey season. And our quarter one giveaway is going to be themed around turkey hunting, so we're going to be giving away a what is it, an Alps turkey vest? Yep,
1: the Alps Alps Grand Slam turkey vest. That's the one I bought last year.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's a great vest. Heck, I'm probably looking into getting a new vest. This year myself, uh, I've been fortunate with turkey hunting. I've actually been given both of the vests that I've had. Like when I first got into turkey hunting, somebody, uh, I think it was my father-in-law, had an extra vest. He's like, oh yeah, here, have this one. And then I think he actually won one or something and had a turkey vest that he really liked. So he ended up giving me the second turkey vest as well. (laughs) So I've never really bought a turkey vest and they've been fine, but there are some additional features to some of these new turkey vests. I really like the kickstand feature of yeah, Turkey vest. And I've always been kind of eyeballing one of those, uh, one of my buddies, uh, Mike Tringali, he was on the podcast when he talked about killing the uh, banded Osceola and mm-hmm. he's had one of those. And I've always just been eyeballing his, the times that we've gone out, I was like, man, I need to just go ahead and get a, a new Turkey vest that, uh, that has the kickstand. And I believe we're throwing in some calls with that, with yep. this giveaway. Right. Yeah. So we're,
1: so in addition to that vest, we're also going to be giving away a Chasing Tails custom slate call or, or pot call uh, as well. We, we're not certain if we're going to be giving away a slate or a glass. It's uh, probably going to be a glass uh, pot call. But either which way, we're going to be giving you the turkey vest, which is a $200 value. And we're going to be giving you a Chasing Tails edition pot call as well. And uh, I, am, I am thrilled about that. Chase, the kickstand feature is hands down a must-have for turkey hunting. And the cool thing about that vest is you know the kickstand does add some weight and if you're in an area where you're really really confident or let's just say you're going a really great you know a long distance two snaps pop off the kickstand comes out and you dump pound and a half worth of weight and you just got a regular trekking vest at that point in time um and and i honestly i love the layout of that vest more and more that i use that 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 thing i'm a real simplistic hunter like Give me my two diaphragm calls, maybe take a glass call if I really need to get out there and, and hit a bird on a, on a distance. But I just don't carry a bunch of stuff. And the way it's laid out, just it makes sense. I don't have to take my eyes off the direction I think the bird's coming from. I can just put my hand where it needs to be. And I hope you guys enjoy that as well. That's just the least we could do to say thanks for everything that you guys do. Um, it, it's, it, it's incredible that we've got uh, – almost 40 people who support this show now and it makes this makes doing this much easier. And, uh, we, we really appreciate you guys. So if you're also listening to this and you're thinking, dang, Turkey, Turkey honey's coming. I need some Turkey gear. Check out scree gear. Scree gear is someone who we have partnered for, for this upcoming year. Again, uh, Chase and I are like (laughs) completely sold on this product. I mean, it's, it, it is an easy endorsement to, to, to talk to, or speak to a product that just functions as well as it does and for a fantastic price as well.
0: Yeah, the the Scree Gear is awesome. I think Chris is really going to enjoy the couple of pieces that he's going to get. He's down in South Florida, so you really don't need a ton of layers down there. But I think this will be a a good addition to uh, whatever he's rocking now. Uh, I know I enjoyed my Moreno layers this season. Uh, I basically rocked it all uh, early season this year uh, right. and one of the best things about it is is you don't really have to wash it i mean you yeah it doesn't stink i mean i wore that thing five six times uh, i had yep. a whole video on one of the pieces and uh, <laughs> did yard work in it yeah right? it did yard work went out <laughs> scouted all kinds of things with uh that um, merino and i was I've been impressed with everything that I've gotten from Scree so far. So if you get a chance, check out uh, Scree Gear, and you can use the code CHASINGTAILS uh, to get you some 15% off of your gear.
1: And then last but certainly not least, Tethered. We work with Tethered for all the saddle hunting gear. Chase has shot deer that from trees that he never has been able to hunt from previously. I have gone 2.25 miles one way carrying a bunch of very lightweight, easy to pack saddle gear. It is it honest to God has made going into the deer woods, especially with the camera, as you guys like to see our YouTube channels. Anything that makes self filming easier, I am a huge fan of. And they have got an awesome stick coming out this year as well. So if you're if you're looking for the epitome of ultra lightweight, stay tuned. Go to TetheredNation.com. Sign up to be notified when the Tethered the One stick comes out. I think it's just under 16 ounces with attachment method. They've got an innovative way that it stacks. I cannot wait. I've I've held this thing in my hand. I've put it on the tree. It is ridiculous, and I cannot wait to use it this fall.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tethered has a bunch of great stuff. It seems like they keep coming out with new stuff, and I'm looking forward to uh, some of the new things that uh, Tethered has on the docket for this year as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. So today's topic is is me. <laughs> it is great to uh, to be able to dedicate three episodes in a year to uh deer success stories because <laughs> that has never happened before in fact a previous <laughs> record for deer stories from Walter was one set in 2020 so or 2019 uh, that is um i'm, I'm kidding guys like it's, it's not that big a deal however it is it is it is an uncomfortable unsettling place for me to be you know killing this many deer and i hope you guys don't expect much from next year but Uh, we're going to be talking about a buck named CB and y'all will know I am not the kind that, um, you know, I don't, I don't get a target buck and then name them. And then, you know, four episodes in a row, it's, you know, the pursuit of such and such. But, uh, I told my wife going hunting that day, uh, that if I killed a deer, it would get a very affectionate name. But the story of this buck goes back months. I mean, it goes back to, man, when did I start talking about hunting Georgia last year? It had to be like April, May, right?
0: Yeah, somewhere around then.
1: Yeah. So, 2020 hits, COVID hits, and uh, basically, I'm not able to go out to Colorado. And, uh, dude, I, I took I took some of the, the the Colorado funds and I bought the 325 plus dollar uh, Georgia big game license, which. Uh, I got to say the price tag is not proportionate to the big game that you, that you have there size wise, you know, body wise. It's not like you're going out West and you're shooting a 500 pound animal, 600 pound animal, but uh, man, the public land opportunities. Let me be very specific here. The public land opportunities, i.e. the amount of public land, uh, the ability to get away in Georgia is just entirely different, dude. I mean, I, I probably blown your ear up praising, how they are ran. It's just, you have to walk. There isn't an access road to every block of timber. Um, it is genuinely a place where the harder you work, the more you're going to get out of it, but you are definitely going to work hard. Um, and that's, you know, speaking of trail cameras, that's kind of where, that's kind of where I started. I think it was probably, uh, well, it had to be after June because we had the, the Yakin for bass challenge and June, Let's say July, August, man, I probably put 20 to 30 miles in the summer heat in snake boots, um, putting out trail cameras. And the cool thing about it, dude, was in Georgia, you're like, this looks like a spot that's going to have a buck. And when you put the camera up, it's, it's a miracle there, there are bucks there. (laughs) I mean, the deer do what they're supposed to do in Georgia. It's just a different animal. Um, I ran trail cameras, um, probably from, oh, I ran trail cameras there up until the very end uh, in, in, in early January, but um, had a lot of ups and downs chasing deer on, on different different chunks of property up there. But then about, I don't know, it was probably early November, I started focusing in on uh, a couple of parcels, uh, very large parcels that got very little pressure. In fact, um, I'm probably going to kick my own butt for, for saying this. I saw one other hunter Now I know there were other people in there. I saw their boot tracks, all that stuff, but I only ran into one other hunter, um, from early November to January 10th. And I didn't hunt there every weekend. And I didn't out there during the weekdays. So, you know, there, there were plenty of other people in there, but the, the overall feeling was if I wanted to go to a block of timber and I got there in a decent hour, I'd be able to go to that block of timber and I wasn't worried about some dude walking in behind me. I wasn't worried about bumping some dude off a ladder stand. In fact, uh, I only found one ladder stand while I was there and one climber uh, that were left in the woods. Um, And I think that's because a lot of Georgia, you have to work to get back there. So you're not going to, I don't know, I just, I feel like it encourages a different attitude of a hunter. I'm not saying that Georgia's perfect. I had my encounter back in early December with that jerk wad that, you know, set up 100 yards from me. But it just, the way they set it up seems to really encourage the, the right kind of, Does that, does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, and I feel like the, your, maybe your negative encounter was because it was a quota hunt. I think on some of your other areas, they weren't quotas and that on the quota hunts, you only have so many days and there's a bunch of people. So the chances of you running into somebody or being right on top of somebody is a lot higher to me than if you have like the season to (laughs) go out and chase deer
1: on a piece of public land. That's a good point. That That's a really good point, because you're right, and there's probably, you know, if you're hunting a, a piece that's hunt, huntable any day of the week, you probably have less likely of people driving down from Atlanta or up from southeast Georgia or whatever, and feeling like, the, you know, okay, well, this is where I stake my claim. Live or die, this is where I kill the deer. So they go out there, they scout, they leave their, their you know, they don't really have a backup spot, whereas I think you're probably, you know, I had backup spots, so if somebody beat me somewhere, I'm just going to another, another location, whereas he was probably uh, quite grumpy that someone was in the, 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 you know, his A spot, you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, even then, you know, the encounter wasn't terrible that day should have ended with a, with a buck as well. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so I started, I started scouting this, this area in early November was flabbergasted by, you know, the amount of space, um, relatively abundant deer population. In fact, I was getting cell cameras. This is where cell cameras and non cellular cameras kind of enter the mix for me in this story because i would you you told me early on in the season like dang near like a scolding father you need to be moving (laughs) your spy point like that needs to be your live intel and you know put other trail cameras you know non-cellular trail cameras in areas that are questionable or you've already you know established that you know there's something there worth capturing and so that's i took your advice again i appreciate you chase and uh i started bouncing that that spike one around on that on that piece of property and it was mind-boggling how many deer were there like i was getting and and not only were, when i was i was getting deer in the morning seven forty-five to 9 45 every day i'd get a group of six to ten does down this trail every day it was remarkable man i i could not i genuinely could not believe it i i i Every time it happened, I would send you the photos because I was just in like total disbelief. And I'm sure Chase is over there, like, dude, I know, I, I, I know, I know what deer look like. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't happen in Florida.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it just depends on the kind of the property in Florida, and you, oh, you haven't, fair. and you haven't really had that much. Uh, and, and on public land, it's a little bit different animal in Florida. It is. Yeah. that you're trying and that's what you're kind of <laughs> trying to portray. <laughs> yeah, that's as right. in yeah. for Georgia, so um and and sometimes Florida and like I said on the public land in Florida with your cell cams, you'll get like little times where there's deer in that area and then all of a sudden they disappear like they're that's not right. there a lot like you'll have little pockets of oh man there's a lot of activity going on in this area right now and then you can leave that camera the whole season and then all of a sudden boom there's nothing on your camera for weeks yeah and, uh, so you really <laughs> got to be moving your camera around on florida public land for sure
1: yeah for sure i mean uh, that's that you said it better than me i appreciate you uh this is teamwork on the podcast guys but uh it, it was one of those things where again I'm I'm scouting what I would do is I would go to this area and uh hunting from the ground was the tactic that I used uh in Georgia a lot. In fact, I would be willing to bet 90% of the hunting that I did this year were in pine thickets or on the edges of swamp bottoms all from the ground. And a lot of that was because I wanted fresh intel. I wanted to hunt fresh side and a lot of times you get set up in an area the energy and the exertion of carrying the gear in and setting up the stand, even with the saddle, you kind of feel like I need to just sit it out here and observe. And this year, hunting with a rifle, I had the ability to, you know, if something stands up in front of me, I had the ability to reach out and touch it. And so a lot of what I would do is get there in the morning, set up in an area I thought would look promising, hunt it for a couple hours in the morning. But then when the the deer movement would still, you know, before like well before 10, you know, 830, I would get up and I would start moving around, creeping real slow through the woods. Um, and I would look for fresh sign, look for fresh deer. And I busted these two does, uh, wind bumped them, actually. The wind shifted and uh, there was a thicket in front of me. These two does on top of this little hill uh, gave away their location <clears throat> and, and tore off. And when I got up there, there were beds everywhere and there was scat everywhere. And it made sense because the wind was coming from this direction. I mean, like all the hill, all the podcasts you hear in florida that you can't ever really apply (laughs) because it's all flat (laughs) right um you know they kind of came into focus there and i and i recognized that this area was a doe bedding area And so i found this one trail that was coming into the doe bedding area that's where the camera went got all these photos and i would continue to kind of leave that area alone in the back of my mind that was an area i needed to hunt uh come the rut which on this particular piece of property is you know early december to you know the end of the season they they, it's it's a drawn out kind of deal and i honestly didn't have any first-hand experience on this property and so i left that camera there and i would just rely on the intel that it was showing me and and you could see the progression does are coming by no bucks does are coming by a couple small bucks as you know as we got closer to the right you started seeing more daylight active um bucks just bucks in general and so from early november all the way to middle december i am just really picking this place apart, being real strategic about it, low, low impact. I'm not trying to bust deer, but the very first hunt going back to that, that I got there that evening, I, uh, I had a doe blow behind me. And so I tried to hurry up and go around the hill. And as I came around the hill, uh, she had crossed onto private and I just decided to sit there. And as I, as I sat there, I heard twigs snapping behind me. And I turned like an idiot. I mean, just total nuke. I just whipped around. Instead of, like, turning slowly like anybody should, I whipped around, caught a glimpse of what I told you you know looked like an eight-point. He, he whipped his head up and around, and he kind of got out of there. And that's significant because 100 yards uh, down from where that occurred in early November, the first time I was there, that'd have been late October, it was somewhere in that range. That's where I ended up killing my buck. So keep that in the back of your mind, guys. Weeks go on. I do some quota hunts coming up on Christmas break, and, and I get two weeks off for Christmas every year, which is a beautiful blessing. And this year, we happen to also be celebrating Christmas here at the home. And so for me, this was a wonderful opportunity. The, you know, the rut should be picking up again. It's, it's December. It's moving through. I've got two weeks off. I can drive up there and hunt for a day and come back. My wife gave me time to put on the schedule and I go up there. Uh, second day of my winter break was what we'll call it. And the wind is all wrong. The wind is all kinds of terrible for where I want to go. And so that morning I kind of hang back and wait for that, for the thermals to change. Cause I've listened to podcasts. I know what to do in Hills. I've hunted in Colorado. You know, the wind was blowing to that same doe bedding area that I described earlier. And I, what I wanted to do was the wind should have been coming from that doe bedding area in their face. Um, and this, this one particular trail that I had found, my, I was, I was hedging my bets. I said, bucks are going to be sent checking those does, looking for a doe to come into into heat. You're going to set up on top of this hill, overlooking this 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 hundred yard stretch of path. There's this little knob I could sit on. You're going to overlook this hundred yard patch of trail and be able to catch those bucks trying to scent chase, scent check. But also in Georgia, they believe in shooting does. And so if a doe walks out and I just want to shoot her, (laughs) you know, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to take the free meat. And the wind was blowing down into that bottom and I didn't want to blow out the does that I was confident were there. And in fact, the trail cameras proved later on that they had come down that trail and they were there. So I waited for about 30 minutes right at early shooting light. The wind finally shifts the way it was supposed to come out of, and I walked down the trail. And this is where heartbreak sets in, in for, like, the first time in this situation. At 7.01, I had Chase. I mean, you correct me if I'm overselling this, okay? I had what had to be a 100-inch 8-point walk past that trail camera. Am I overselling it? Uh, Yeah, he was
0: probably around that 100-inch mark for sure.
1: Yeah, wide. Wide buck. His times were not the tallest, but he was very, very wide. Um, He walks down the trail at 701, which was legal shooting light. And he walks down the trail that I would have been overlooking had the wind been right. And (laughs) I walked past the camera at 731. (laughs) 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 You know, it was just 30. I was off by 30 minutes. And you see that on TV. You see that online. People make posts like, oh, my God, I was right behind him. I've never, this has never happened to me before, but here I am having put all this work into it. And you could have gone two ways with that. I could have been really upset, or I could say, I've got 11 days left of my winter break. (laughs) There's a big buck in this area. He's doing what you thought he would get after him, which obviously is where I was. I was like, don't get me wrong. I was tore up about the fact that I was, you know, 30 minutes behind what would have been my biggest buck of all time. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, how cool is it? First year on public land in Georgia to be able to like predict that. Well, find the sign, find the bedding area, stay out of it, like be mature mm-hmm. and methodical about, about how you go get these deer. And dude, I'm going to tell you right now. So that happened on a Monday. I can tell you that with, with absolute certainty that that happened on a Monday. Tuesday I go back and on Monday and Tuesday I had this cough. That's just, just, just this nagging cough that just wouldn't go away, but it's cold dryer, dude. It was cold low 20s like yeah. 23 22 you know and and a good wind so it wouldn't have been uncommon for the dry air to have been doing that i didn't think anything of it wednesday morning day five of the vacation i wake up with a fever chills sweats the bed is soaked get co- get a covid test and sure enough i test positive positive. and at this point guys i genuinely thought my season was over not for any other reason other than just i had to quarantine but then it got worse and i got a very very severe case of covid we've talked about that before i'm not going to talk about it again but i spent the better part of the next 10 days really looking at cuz you know this happened i think like december 20th so you know january 10th is when deer season ends and as those days progressed it became increasingly apparent that I wasn't gonna have the energy or the lung capacity to even go after a deer, and so like there was this monstrous high of oh my god I'm gonna get this deer, and then my entire vacation is being taken from me. I can't breathe. I'm ex- incredibly ill. And uh, about January fourth, I get start feeling better. Six days before the, the season ends, I get start feeling a little bit better. I can I can breathe a little bit more. Things are looking about a bit normal for me. I finally test negative on january i think six for for covid or somewhere in that range but i can come out of quarantine period uh uh regardless and i look at my at at my wife and this is this is how you know you have an amazing wife she hasn't gotten to do anything for christmas because she was exposed to me she's been in isolation for 14 days just like i have she's been you know watching her husband you know, not even watching because i had to be in the room she just heard me suffering and i look at her and i said hey kind of like to go hunting this weekend. And that woman looks up at me, like whips her head up and goes, absolutely. You should take the weekend and go hunting. I was like, (laughs) I was, I was floored dude. Like I was totally floored. Like I was really expecting her to be like, well, I kind of would like to hang out with you or maybe you shouldn't push it. And she did give me a lot of cautionary tales about not pushing it. Um, But she was like, go. And the sad part is I got up Saturday morning and Sunday morning and I just stood there looking at my gear and I was so tired and I could still barely breathe. It's 4am. I got an hour drive and I just didn't have the energy. So I didn't go. And Saturday evening I went and hunted the same spot that I had. I was real conservative about it. And I, I I'm sitting there thinking, okay, how many times are you going to hunt the same spot? Cause in Florida, I'll hunt the same spot. I think you and I've talked about it somewhere between like two, two and four times without, you know, a, a crazy encounter because the range, depending on where you're hunting can be different. And I had hunted this one spot with no results, probably close to four or five times. And I got thinking about, you know, the, the the shift of the deer, the patterns and behind where I was hunting was this really, really dense thicket. And on the Monday that or the Tuesday after I had that encounter with that buck, I had rattled up a deer behind me. I didn't know what it was. But I heard the, you know, there was, there was this little brush pile. I, you know, it it was downwind of me when it finally got to that brush pile, but I heard heard it tore off and I had just done the rattling sequence. So you could hear it walking to me. I couldn't see behind me, but it tore off. And I had seen a couple does walk from where I was facing down into that thicket. And then there would always be fresh tracks in my boot tracks crossing the road where this thicket dumped out into, we're going to call it a saddle. It's not really a saddle. It's just kind of like a low area between two very small Hills. And, I got up that evening. It was freezing cold. I was bitterly cold um, the the ninth, the evening of the ninth, The wind was just ripping. I didn't take my ptarmigan or puffy jacket or anything like that, and I was shaking so violently. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to hold steady on a, a deer and kill it. So I just got up just to warm up and started kind of walking around, and again, there were fresh tracks in my boot tracks. And I'm like, okay, how many times are you going to walk past something? <laughs> and 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 the deer leave you a hey i was here note in your boot tracks and you know not pay any attention to it and largely i had been overlooking this area because it was 100 yards off the road in fact i could see the road where other people were driving and for me again this is where sometimes we can get too rigid in florida there aren't a whole lot of places 100 yards off the road that you can hunt and not expect to run into other people So I was kind of inflexible with my idea of pressure, and this is something Craig Croom has warned me numerous times about, right? Just because it's close to the road doesn't mean you can't hunt it. And here I am having spent the better part of two months completely ignoring this wonderful spot. And so I picked out a spot for that next morning, got up again, couldn't get out into the woods. This is the 10th, last day of deer season. And I'm walking around the house that afternoon. I feel miserable. I just – my energy level is just what's really killing me. And it doesn't feel fun. Gear hunting, the idea of going just didn't sound like a good idea. And I looked at Elaine. I was like, I, I feel like I should go this evening, but I just don't have the energy. And she said, well, why don't you just go sit in the woods? You always feel better. You always talk about how good you feel when you sit in the woods. Take the rifle. Go sit in the woods. I'm like, this is, this is ridiculous. It's the last day of the season. Why don't I just go sit? So I took my little turkey stool. And I pick and I go to that exact same spot, set up overlooking the trail where they always cross, wind in my face. It is just like quintessential setup. And I'm just sitting there, rifle laid across my lap, just haphazardly. And I have no real expectation. Like I wasn't even sitting there, like crossing my fingers, like I hope it happened. The birds are singing. It's beautiful. There's a gentle breeze. I mean, and the birds were literally losing their mind. And I was just so grateful having gone through COVID. To just be out there. Like, I know that sounds cheesy, guys, but genuinely, I had a really bad case. I still, like, even as I'm recording this, I just apologize to Chase because I, I'm having to clear my throat. And I'm coughing a lot. And here we are recording this mid-January. And I'm just sitting there like, this is amazing how lucky I am to be out here. And there's this beautiful sunset behind me. And I send Elena a message. And I said, hey, I feel like at any point in time this could happen. Like it just felt like one of those evenings where at any point in time something cool could happen, and I'm I'm thinking like a doe, right? Like I'm thinking a yearling, and I even joked when I left, I was like, don't be, don't be judgmental when I come home with like a eight, like a seventy pound deer,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: like uh, anything goes on this last hunt, and I said if it happens, I'm gonna name them the COVID buck or CB for short. And she laughs and, and, and whatnot, and we had this little exchange. And I put the phone away, and I'm just sitting there. And all of a sudden, it's the last 30 minutes of daylight, y'all. Sun's setting. It's absolutely beautiful. I catch movement coming out of that thicket. Heart gets to in and I'm just I'm just all sensory overload right now. And, and the whole time I'm thinking, please, God, don't make me cough. Like right now, just <laughs> give, me, give me two minutes without a cough because the whole time I was taking my scarf. And I had this big, heavy-duty fleece scarf, and I would put it over my face. And between that and my beard, my idea was, like, maybe maybe I won't scare off the everything in, in this county. And so I get the, get the backpack up in front of me. I get the rifle set up, and it's about 110 yards away. And it's moving through the brush. And all of a sudden, I see the, the two tines on the top of his head. I'm thinking, oh, sweet. It's a forked horn bunk. This is awesome. This is the perfect way to end the season. And it steps out in the, into the opening and turns and looks at me. And, it's, and, and I misidentified it as eight-point. turned out to be a seven-point. But it is walking on a beeline right to mm. me. Here I am, again, half haphazardly just picked a spot. I am completely exposed in this turkey stool. The only advantage I had was I had, like, these two logs behind me that, you know, they were 10 feet behind me. Maybe it broke up my outline. But I've got blaze orange beanie on, a blaze orange vest. And because my backpack is brown and it's gun season and I don't trust people, I've got blaze orange on my backpack, right? And I'm thinking this deer's gonna see me at any point in time, but it's a frontal shot. I mean, it is do just straight at me, and he's coming at, at at 90 yards, 70 yards, 60 yards, 50. He got a 41 yards, 40, 41 yards from where I was, and he's just facing right at me. I'm like, dude, this deer is gonna like and he, I'm gonna have to decide: am I taking a frontal shot or not? And so I'm whistling and I'm doing, Meh! So I'm doing all this stuff. And he's just nose to the ground, and that was the other issue was I didn't really feel like I had like a like. Base of the throat shot, um, and so I finally literally go, "Hey, deer!" And when I said that, it echoed off the other side, and he turned and looked at the echo, not me, forty yards hollering at him. But something about that echo caught him, and he turned and looked the other direction, turned broadside. And this, this is the shining moment out of all of this for you guys. I had two mishaps early in the season. I had I shot the spike. I misranged the deer. Uh, wounded it. I got it back on camera. It survived. I shot the, we're just going to call it, an eight point in early December, um, rushed, missed him, rushed the second shot, hit him low, couldn't recover that deer, called a dog. So I had two really low points in the year where I made some very critical mistakes. And I take that very personally. As I, I, I believe I should dispatch animals as quickly as humanly possible. And it was a low spot. And so when I had that deer in the crosshairs, I realized I had some scope shadow and he's only at 40 yards. It's all lined up perfect, and for a moment, I almost just sent it just out of desperation to kill a deer on the last day of deer season, the last few minutes of daylight, and instead, I took my finger off the trigger. I I risked moving 40 yards in the wide open in front of this deer, shifting the backpack to where I could get really on the rifle the way I was supposed to. Deer looks at me right as I squeeze the trigger, hammers the buck, and he only goes 25 yards, but the kindness out of the kindness of his heart, knowing that I had, you know, just gotten over COVID. I can barely breathe. He jumps over, over a brush pile and into a grapevine and continues to thrash on the grapevine, getting himself thoroughly tangled for about four or five seconds. And so <laughs> it, it took me 35, 40 minutes with several breaks just to pull that deer out of that brush pile. I was so winded and so gassed. I mean, it was just unreal chase. I mean, I facetimes you and that was 30 minutes after that. Was I still huffing and puffing then?
0: Uh, yeah, but it seemed like it was more of an excitement huff and puff. Than okay. Good. Okay. Being overworked.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, before that, it wasn't excitement, but <laughs> before that it was very much, uh, you know, almost to the point of panic at one point in time, you know, I couldn't, couldn't get, couldn't get any oxygen in. It didn't feel like, and, um, he's a beautiful deer. I've got him in there doing a Euro right now, but that, that is the story of CB, the COVID buck last day, last sit, last 30 minutes on public land. Um, I put, I, put, I feel like I implemented to kill that deer. I feel like I implemented every strategy in 2020 that, that people were gracious enough from John Eberhart and Jake Bush and, and all the people who came on the podcast and talk strategy. I felt like I was able to put all of that into play this year. Um, and I think it, I mean, I'm happy with how it turned out.
0: Yeah, man, you had a, a good season in Georgia. I mean, you had you had opportunities, a lot more opportunities yep. this year than you've had in Florida <laughs> over the yeah. past basically three seasons. And really, you've only hunted Florida, what, the one quota hunt this year?
1: Uh, let me make sure I'm not okay. Well, no, I hunted, I hunted, uh, that still hunt area early season, maybe four or five times, but total hunts in Georgia, maybe seven. Okay. Yeah. Maybe seven. Um, and and largely that's not really like, I'm not saying you should not hunt Florida if you're here, but for me, my proximity to Georgia and the ability, and this is what it really boils down to for me, the ability to shoot does throughout the season up there with a gun changes the dynamic for me because first and foremost I love putting venison in the fridge that is my number one goal every year is to put venison in fact for the last three years my dream has been to put enough venison in the fridge fridge from public land that uh, my wife and I wouldn't have to buy ground beef and so Georgia changed that because I shot a doe um well that was technically both seasons so that would have counted here as well but I shot that buck um uh as well up there, as uh, you know, it, the opportunities to fill the freezer are just more abundant up there. Uh, factor in the fact that the deer are a little bit bigger. You know, I, I was probably a two-year-old deer at best, two and a half year old. I mean, he was his teeth were shoot super super sharp. I mean, he. I'm not a pro, but he was a young deer, but he was bigger bodied than the buck that i shot um his rack was comparable i think the deer i shot may have been two and a half or three and a half somewhere in that range because he had some he had some good wear on his teeth but i hate to say it but i'm spending three hundred and twenty five dollars a year now to go hunt georgia
0: well it's more than just deer that are included in that license as well it's true so you get your turkey tags included in that i think isn't there a bear tag included yep in that as well so there's uh it's not like this weekend you only get deer yeah pigs pigs are abundant so there's a lot you can do with that tag and you i mean you you had a chance to tag out on bucks in georgia i mean you would have technically could have been tagged out before the the covid buck um just had some mishaps and you got a doe and you probably could have taken more does uh to be honest but uh, if you would have been able to hunt, I mean, with yeah. <laughs> like COVID striking yeah. you, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of opportunities, and you can, uh, and you you still have Florida to hunt too. So it's not <laughs> that. Yep, it, it, and there's, I think their see their turkey seasons longer in Georgia, so you can yep. extend your turkey season. So there's all kinds of cool things you can do because of your proximity to. You're not far from the Georgia line, <laughs> so no, you're not far at all. Uh, I think 30, I'm about thirty-one now. minutes hour and some change from like middle Georgia line there, I guess the the kind of the center of the state at the line, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're not far from some, uh, some good hunting there in Georgia. So, uh, it makes sense.
1: Yeah. And I'm hopeful. <clears throat> I'm hopeful that through my off season scouting and everything else, I mean, I'm hopeful that in off season scouting and everything that, uh, you can come up this year. Like I, I my, my hope is, you know, your rut is done, uh well before or at least before uh this place starts to really pop off and there's really good deer up there and you know it'd be ideal if if we could get you a a non-resident license to come up there and hunt as well because if you were to you know if we if we were strategic about it you know you drive up on a friday we go up there we can hunt saturday sunday and be home without really stretching things too much or you know maybe i take off a monday through wednesday since you you have a wonky schedule and we go up there and the pressure is going to be even you know, more diminished, you know, I mean, it's, uh, the ability to make content, fill freezer, make memories, hang out, shoot quality deer. I mean, it just seems kind of like Georgia is going to be an annual affair for at least myself, but you know, possibly you as well moving forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my season kind of pretty much wraps up after like the first week or so of December. Um, Right. Then it kind of, it'll kind of kick up a little bit kind of towards like the very end, of the season, just cause you get them back on their normal patterns again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there is a, a good amount of kind of, I'll call it dead time uh, for uh, the season. And uh, it'd be something that, like I said, if you buy that big game tag, you, you got turkeys and everything else. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you get your two turkeys in Florida and then you can go, Oh, I'm going to go to Georgia and uh, <laughs> right. work on uh, filling some turkey tags in Georgia. So there, there's a lot of options. And, and we're just talking about, the southern portion of georgia there's all kinds of other areas in georgia that we could go to as well uh to hunt yeah absolutely i
1: mean every year in october i'm going to be hunting southeast georgia for at least a weekend or two uh because their rut over there is early october to you know mid-october and so you know kind of the way i see this envisioning is uh of course i'm going to do some you know pre-rut hunting around here but uh I'm gonna basically try and target a couple quality deer here early season, bow season, when they're when they're somewhat predictable. And then I'm basically going to chase the rut, dude. Like I'll be honest with you, from October to January, I'm gonna just bounce around and, and chase the rut and have a good time doing it. Um and you're right. You you know honestly if you if you split if you split the deer and turkey cost in half and say, you know, it's a hundred and fifty bucks to chase twelve more deer or a hundred and a hundred and fifty bucks for a month and a half more Turkey season. And, and as it stands now, three additional Turkey tags. Oh, come on, man. That's, that's a no brainer. <laughs> like, I'll drop that coin any day. You you present it to me like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a great opportunity. And yep. I mean, the, the Florida hunting for you really isn't good until now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, once yeah. Georgia ends the floor, I mean, yeah. right now in the panhandle, there is the best time. I mean, I'm seeing, yep. I'm constantly seeing daily of somebody dropping Uh, really good bucks uh, in the kind of that Jackson County West. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And that's not too mm -hmm. far from you either. I mean, an hour or less, 45 minutes, somewhere in that area. And there's some good public land uh, in in those areas to kind of target. So spend your time a little early season in Florida, then pursue Georgia. And then at the end of the season, there's a good, there's a good rut going in the panhandle.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and next year, Yeah, you know, next year we, we we swore we were gonna make good on it this year and then COVID happened, but and then you know, your work schedule because of COVID. But uh next year we're gonna do our late season. We're gonna make good on it. I swear to God. We're gonna make good on our late season deer camp. And
0: uh Yes, we're gonna I'm have gonna to- get up in the panhandle and do some scouting yeah. this summer. Like I'm gonna have yeah. to make it happen during the summer. Uh yeah, for and, sure. And do some scouting. Uh, I've hunted up there before and uh I, I enjoyed it. And there's a couple yep. of, uh, management areas that I, I'd like to go check out some more and, yep. uh, maybe we can do some water access stuff in <laughs> yep. uh, late season and, uh, get on some deer in the
1: panhandle. I, I think it'll, I think it'll play out well. There's, there's a couple spots uh, where we could do a, uh, we could do a late season rut camp, a rut hunt in January. And then there's another spot that I know of that I've been given a lot of information that I'm a scout, uh, that, uh, you you do a late season rut camp in middle February. So, you know, we, we could, you know, pl- you know, have the wives happy with us by being around most of the time, and then stake our claim to a couple four to five day hunts—one in January and one in one in February—and still get on some good deer. So, uh, you know, it, you learn something every year. Your strategy changes every year. This time last year, I was uh, not even talking about Georgia. For Georgia wasn't even a, 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 a thought in my mind uh, as a as a viable option. I had a perfect game plan for Florida, and honestly, my game plan for Florida did play out dang near perfectly. I almost called my shot on that buck that I shot in early November, but um, you know, you, you adapt, you, 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 you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is every year, guys, every season in the season, be willing to adapt, be willing to change your mindset, you know, accept, accept what the environment's telling you where you are. If there's hot signs somewhere, freaking hunt it, man. If, if, if the hunting where you're at is, is frustrating the heck out of you and you can drive, 45 minutes to an hour and a half to get to better hunting hunt less and and drive and make and and make make more of those hunts so um, a lot was learned I I had my best season I'm just gonna call it now it's my best season ever I 2015 I killed my biggest buck ever but I did everything on public land this year made a lot of mistakes made a lot of hell hell good memories and uh, we're looking at buying a, a chest freezer. If I kill any pigs this weekend, we're going to have to buy a chest freezer because we, we are officially for the first time ever out of freezer space in the Lee household.
0: Yeah, that's a great goal, <laughs> man. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: so, well, why don't we wrap this up? Put a nice little bow on it. Um, guys, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy what we're doing and you want to support us, check out Patreon. It would mean the world to us. Don't forget that we're doing that awesome Turkey giveaway. We've got some Turkey hunting content coming down the pipe for you as well. Turkey season's rapidly approaching, but we'll probably, Chase and I will probably uh, have one or two more deer stories before the season's out. Like you said, my season isn't quite done here. It's just picking up around the house. So uh, until next time, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.